I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9 of Exodus 34, starting with the first verse. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones and Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation." So Moses made haste and worship and bowed his head. Um, so Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worship. Then he said, "If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance." See, the children of Israel, they had obviously. Uh, spurned the goodness of God when Moses went up the mountain the first time to receive the Ten Commandments, among other things. He would receive, obviously, uh, the instructions for the tabernacle, all the different ornaments within, uh, uh, within the tabernacle. Uh, but while he was up there to receive the law, to receive the commandments, they had already experienced a lot of God's goodness. They had been delivered, just like you and I, We've been delivered by grace from the world, from bondage of sin, from the certainty of hell, from all the things that we were saved from, and they had been delivered similarly from all the bondage of Egypt, from all of the slavery in Egypt, from all of the uh, trials and tears and all the things that they endured as a nation for over 400 years. But when Moses went up the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights, the first time to receive the law and the commandments. Remember that God had already given them verbally back in Exodus chapter 20. God had given the commandments verbally, but the actual God writing with his own finger took place the first time Moses goes up Mount Sinai and God gives him the tablets of stone and he also gives him again those other instructions. Well, what did the children of Israel do? Well, we know they instead of actually continuing to serve the Lord, They ended up going the route of idolatry. They build the golden calf. They begin to worship it. There's all kinds of immorality. It is an absolute sin-infested camp. When Moses comes down the mountain, God had already told him while he was up there what was happening down below. They've left me. And God, remember, was threatening to consume them all. And God says, don't worry about it. I'll just start a new nation with you, Moses. I don't need anybody else. I'll just start a new nation with you. And then Moses, of course, pleaded for them, and and God relented, and then Moses comes down, and in the fury, which represented the fury of the Lord, he did what with the commandments? He smashed them, broke them. It was symbolic because 
the children of Israel, they had broken the very law that God was writing. They had broken it literally, and the commandments were broken literally. To mirror the way they had broken, the tablets were broken. They were completely broken. And it also reminds me of, you know, when you have broken things, who's the only one that can fix it? I look at all the lives that are broken. We pray for uh, the upcoming, you know, outreaches with uh, Pastor Greg and Billy Graham and others, and you look at all the broken lives, and I look at lives that are broken much like an expensive vase that you would shatter, right? There's no way to replace it or fix it or put it all back together unless you're God, right? Unless you're God. There's no other answer. Nobody else can put anything back together. Nobody else can do a redo. But God can. And the children of Israel had greatly, greatly turned from the Lord, broken all the commandments. They were about to receive them finally physically, but before they did, they had already turned and broken the very commandments which were on the tablets and God was furious, furious with them. You now, God is also just furious with just sin itself. Would you agree that God hates sin? I mean, it's, it's, it's here in the text that uh, he's going to, uh, by no means is he going to forgive iniquity. Sin has to be paid for. God was furious with sin. He's furious to see the impact of sin, and of course he knows where it comes from. It goes all the way back to the garden. But man doesn't quite have the right understanding of sin. Uh, by nature, we make light of sin, don't we? Uh, we don't think it's that big a deal. And so God is going to memorialize on the commandments that everyone will know that from heaven itself, God is writing these things I hate these things I love. Now, he loves that we would make him first. No other gods before him. That God loves. But to actually choose something else, which is exactly what took place with the golden calf, that God hates. Um, and so the t commandments are going to be forever enshrined. God's word is settled for how long? Forever. The commandments... Even, even though you and I, if we're saved, we're not under the law anymore, the law is now written on our hearts, isn't it? I don't despise the Ten Commandments. I love the Ten Commandments now. When you're unsaved, you rather do despise them or you run from them, right? You try and put them out of your mind. But God's not, even though the commandments were shattered, even though they were broken, God says, no, 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 we will have a second copy. I will write them, come back up, Moses. Come back up the mountain. Come back up for another period of time where I will give you these commandments. If you're taking notes, we've uh, divided the text this morning into three sections. Uh, Regiven, reminded, and recognition. Regiven, I have a hyphen there. I don't know what, how you write it, but uh, regiven, reminded, and recognition. So the Lord brings Moses back up. Uh, Moses is God's chosen man. Moses uh, has not turned from the Lord. Uh, he has had his faithful 
uh, servant Joshua there. But in this case, God says, you alone, just come back up, just yourself. Let no one even near the mountain, no man come with you. Let no man be seen anywhere near the mountain. And I will rewrite on these tablets that which was written in the first ones. I love how God said, the ones you broke. And he did shatter them, but really they were broken when the sin was there in the camp. And I look at this situation where the commandments have to be re-given, and I see some real distinct similarities with the ministry of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you see them. I want to point a few out to you. Some similarities of the commandments in Christ. Think about the commandments in Christ. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. Remember the law, Hebrews tells us the law and the things of the old covenant are foreshadows of the things to come. Both the Ten Commandments, which is also called the law, and Jesus are perfect and holy. True? Both the Ten Commandments and Jesus are righteous, eternal, and both are impossible for man to attain to despite his best efforts. True? Can you attain to the perfection of Christ? No. Can you, can you attain to the perfection of the Ten Commandments? No. Both are called the Word of God. Did you know that? Both are called the Word of God. Both come directly from God. Did you know that? God himself writes it. Jesus says, I come from my Father. Both come directly from God. Both are described in the Scriptures as cut stone. Jesus is described in numerous places. I'll give one, Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. Jesus is described as a stone that was cut without hands. Matter of fact, that stone will crush the Antichrist empire, Daniel goes on to tell us prophetically. But Jesus is the stone cut without hands. Here we have the stones are cut by Moses and the writing of God will be on them. Both the Ten Commandments and Jesus are referred to as the testimony. That's interesting. Both are referred to as the testimony. Back in Exodus chapter 31, a few chapters back, uh, verse 18, it says, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Yes, they're commandments, but they're the testimony of God. And then we know numerous times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the testimony. I'll give you one, Revelation 1-2, the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Both are referred to as the testimony. The testimony of the commandments and the person of Jesus Christ both come down twice, don't they? Law comes down and is broken. Law will come down a second time. Jesus comes down the first time and he said, I give my body which is broken for you. The second time he comes down, his body will not be broken and the law will crush and Christ will crush underfoot all those that are lawbreakers. Both will come down two times. The first time the commandments came, they were rejected. The first time Jesus comes, he is rejected. And again, we see 
that only Jesus can fulfill the very law that God gave. It was a pointing to, it was a foreshadow to the perfection of God's Son who would be the very testimony himself. He is, you know what John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, right? The Word was with, he is the Word. He is the testimony. He is these, he, are, he is the commandments. He's the fulfillment of them. But God re-gives them. Isn't God gracious to re-give? What he's not only re-giving is the commandments, he's re-giving Israel a chance to keep them, to observe them, to recommit to them. You know, we talk about people recommitting their life. This is an opportunity for all of Israel. God says, come up, I'll rewrite the commandments, the testimony. Eventually they will go into the Ark of the Covenant, but everyone will have the chance to recommit themselves to me. They don't have to follow me, but it would be in their best interest if they do. Amen? You don't have to follow God, but it will be in your best interest if you do. God would desire that you do. He doesn't need you or me. He's self-sustaining. He, he, he receives worship even when you're not around. He's receiving constantly the worship of angels around. It says, holy, 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 night and day, never stops. He doesn't need anything, but yet he graciously says, I give you my testimony. Will you receive it? The first time you said no thanks, you wanted a golden calf, Right? I will have them sent back down by my messenger. Will you this time say yes? And so Moses is pleading, continues to plead on their behalf as he's continued to do. Moses, of course, is a type of Christ. He's not Christ, but he's a type of Christ always making intercession for the people, isn't he? What is Jesus doing for you and I today? Continually making intercession. He's the only one that's kept the commandments. He's the only one that can continue to go to the Father on our behalf. But God re-gives the commandments. Now, these commandments are still important even to this day. If you get a chance, uh, you don't have to wait for it. We're going to show it uh, the first uh, Wednesday in September. We're going to show the video that Ray Comfort just released this week uh, on livingwaters.com as well. It's out out on YouTube, uh, God vs. Evolution, and it's a 38-minute a video that's just uh, amazing to see the effect, the impact that the law, once you actually get people to look at the law, it truly is a mirror to their soul, isn't it? That when they really look at the law, when they really understand God's commandments versus how they live, how they think, what they do, they realize what Psalm 19.7 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony, there it is again, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You don't have to convince people, you just present the testimony. And a lot of times people will fool you, or they'll try and fool you into thinking that they don't believe a word of it. Oh, If you could be inside their mind when they ride away, when they walk away, the wheels are turning. Because God's shining a light on the conscience, and he's showing them all ten commandments that you've broken them all. I haven't broken all of them. Now you lied. That's the one you think you didn't break, right? 
You've broken them all. It's amazing when we show it, and like I said, you can go out and watch it before then, but we'll show it the first Wednesday in September. But you, when you see that people, they go from saying, I'm an atheist, to saying, yes, I have sinned. Well, if God doesn't exist, then sin doesn't exist. It's a figment of all of our imaginations, isn't it? But it's not. God says, my righteous standard will always stand in stark contrast to humanity. And Moses, when I bring the commandments back to you, bring them back to the people, have them renew their relationship with me. They will experience my grace. Yes, they've broken the commandments. All this points to that God is willing to forgive sins. Of course, he's going he's to say this to Moses anyway. We, we understand here that God visits Moses in a very unique way and addresses who the nature of God is. He's going to we uh, one other thing before we look at the reminder that God gives on His own nature. Uh, it is important. We were there, Wednesday night when we were uh, in Ephesians six uh, talking about the gospel of peace. You know, our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Uh, the gospel of peace. The reason why you present it as peace is you have to use the law and the Ten Commandments to show people that currently they're not at peace with God, but the gospel brings peace with God. Uh, The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked all day long. A lot of people don't know that verse and do not like that verse. But he also says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he's not desiring to destroy He's desiring to save. You've heard me tell a lot of times. I had the co-worker, but some of you have never heard it, so I'll retell it again. It's worth a 1,000th if I've said it that many times. But I had the co-worker that asked me, did you send anyone to hell this weekend? When I was still in the business world, I was pastoring the church and working on Monday through Friday. Did you send anyone to hell this week? I said, no. I can't send them to hell. They're on their way there. I can only tell them how to get off the off-ramp, Right? The commandments tell everyone that you're already going in the wrong direction is what the commandments do. You're on the wrong road. They actually will give, the commandments are better like a U-turn. You need to turn around and run to God because if you follow this route, it's not going to end well, not only in this life, but for all eternity. So this is why when we bring the gospel of peace, we're bringing peace as ministers of reconciliation, which the scriptures tells us we are. We go to Bonaire tonight, just like us, they're sinners. They already have been punished in some way for their sin with being locked up, right? But God says, if you die that way, you'll be locked up in hell forever, but I will give you a full pardon. And that's the gospel of peace, which takes the law. The law and the gospel work hand in hand. Let's look at God's reminder of who he is to Moses. He gives Moses the commandments. Uh, one other thing about the similarity here, I um, just want to throw this out too. The similarity of Jesus and Moses here too, uh, the, the commandments. Just when I was reading this, it strikes me that uh, Moses was to be ready. The second time Jesus comes, we are to be ready, aren't we? Actually, people were, to, were, they were supposed to be ready for his first coming too, and, and a few people were. The wise men were ready right? You know, we had a few that were, Anna was ready. There was a few people that were ready, but we're to be ready because 
when Jesus descends the second time, not to be broken again. His body will not be broken. He'll be, he'll be king of kings and lord of lords on a white horse, right? When he descends the second time, we are to be ready when the lawgiver comes. That's one of his names, to be ready. But let's look at, uh, let's look at God's description of himself in this second section, reminded. See, God has revealed himself to Moses in a number of ways already that are exclusive even to Moses. Remember last week he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and let Moses see part of the rear, of, the rear train of God's glory. Not his full glory. No man could look upon God and live. But the Lord speaks to Moses, as we know uh, back in 33 as well, God would speak to Moses as a man does face to face. Not face to face that he saw God's face, but they would literally hear the audible voice of God. I pray, you pray, but I suspect we don't hear, I know I do not hear the audible voice of God, I hear his still small voice, and I hear the literal word of God in his word. But Moses had this relationship where God spoke to him audibly, he saw the miracles of God, he saw all of these supernatural things. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a party in the Red Sea, but I believe it happened. Moses saw it the manna coming down from heaven, all of these things. And he knew much of the nature of God, but yet God reminds him of the most important aspects of who God is as it relates to man. He says, or we see that the text tells us, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now we know that uh, the Lord had said back in the 33rd chapter, look at verse 17 in chapter 33, just one uh, few verses up. Chapter 33, verse 17 says, the last part of the verse, I know you by name. Now, that was God speaking to Moses. Now, God knows everybody by name. God knows every thought that you have had in your entire life. God knows everything you thought this morning. He knows if your worship was sincere. He knows when you raised your hand, were you raising your hand for just out and out, just abandonment of the Lord. He knows everything that you thought, did, said, and what you're going to do this afternoon as well. But to the believer, it's not that just he knows us by name. We know in the book of Revelation, he's going to give us a name that no one knows but him, right? He knows us by name. Now, God knows Moses and Moses does know God, but God's saying, I want to remind you more of me. And I, well, the, the, the certain fact is Moses doesn't know all about God, but God knows all about Moses. There's always more that God can remind us of and more he can reveal us to us about him. There's nothing we can reveal to God about us. It's all laid naked and bare. There's nothing you could say, God, I bet you didn't know this about me. Now, God can tell you things you don't know about yourself. God will say, I bet you don't know that you're still prideful in this area. I am? Yep. I bet you don't know that you have no faith over here. I thought I did. No, you don't. God can reveal a lot to us about who we are, but there's nothing that we can reveal to God but he has a lot to reveal of himself. And he reminds some of the things Moses does know, but what God really does is he accentuates the most critical 
aspects of his nature as Moses is going to... Remember, Moses is a shepherd of the people. He is there to... Whatever God reminds Moses of, Moses is to remind who? The people. To remind the people, thus saith the Lord. This is why prophets speak this way. They don't say, thus says the prophet. When I talk to people, I tell them all the time, let me, let me be real straight with you. My opinion means zilch. Let, let you always understand. Now, as human beings, our opinion somehow makes its way into a lot of things still. Do our best to let the Holy Spirit remove our opinion say, hey, it doesn't matter what I say. This is what God says. So God reveals to Moses reminds to, and reminds Moses, this is what is important about me. He descends in the clouds, stands within there and proclaims the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the following. This is the Lord speaking of himself. This is God's eyewitness testimony, his autobiography of himself. Remember, a similar thing happened with uh, Abraham and, you know, Oh, no, this, I'm sorry, not with Abraham. He happened with, back with Moses. The, remember Moses earlier with the burning bush? He says, Lord, who do I say said to me? The I am. I am that I am. Okay, what do I do with that? What does that mean? It means self-existing. It means self-perpetuating. It means the way, the way we are. I've always been. I always will be. I have no beginning and no end. The timeless one has sent you. The one that stands outside of time. I am that I am. I'm self-sustaining. I've not been created. I only create. That's who sent. Now here, similarly to Moses had the burning bush experience, here he has the Shekinah glory comes down in a cloud. Now God reveals himself in fire by night and cloud by day. We see these different manifestations of the Spirit of God revealing himself in a way that Moses can look upon without dying, but he speaks of his nature here. And uh, I want to uh, quickly point out a couple things that Pastor David Guzik, uh, who's pastor in California now, he points out about God descending with the Shekinah glory. We see uh, throughout the scripture, God descend uh, back in Exodus 19, God descended by covering Mount Sinai. Uh, in the 13th chapter, he went with Israel by day. He went to the tent of Moses just back in the 33rd chapter. Later, when the temple is built by Solomon, later God will fill the temple with his glory, right? Uh, he will overshadow, the Spirit of God will overshadow Mary with the birth of Jesus. Um, we see that this cloud, the Shekinah glory of God is present at the Mount of Transfiguration where none other than Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, standing there, and the cloud and the glory of God appears again. And in Revelation 1-7, that will return with Jesus Christ himself. The glory will come down with Christ. And so we know that, that God reveals again and again that he desires to what? To come and tabernacle with smelly, stinky us. Right? He desires to tabernacle with man, to come down to where we're at, to meet us where we're at. Now Moses supernaturally experienced God's character as God begins to describe more of what his nature is. He goes on uh, and says, The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, long-suffering, 
abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity by the trillions, by the way, and transgression and sin. Just in case you didn't get it, he made sure he called it iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, this is God speaking. It's not a secondhand prophet. It's God himself saying iniquity, sin, and transgression. In other words, the debt pay is high. Like our debt, you know, really high right now. Sin debt's even worse. You think the debt, you think the monetary debt's high? You should see the sin debt, which we can't see, but God can see it. So the multiplied, I don't know what factor you would put that at, because there's a lot more sin than there is monetary debt. But he goes on, by no means clearing the guilty. I thought God, I, my understanding, you'll talk to people, my understanding is God is uh, so good he's going to let everybody off the hook. That's not what he says. He says, by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity upon the fathers and upon the children and the children's children in the third and fourth generation. Are you telling me that the sin I do will have bad effects on other people? Yes. The sin you and I commit will have bad effects on other people, starting inside our own household, won't it? Because children learn from parents, and then their children learn from their parents. Uh, when we go into prisons, when we go into places uh, like that, we find that there is generations that have gone. Are you the first one in your family to be incarcerated? No. My dad was. How about four? Well, his dad was. Why? Because we pass on the same sin nature. We pass on the same. If we learn righteousness, we teach righteousness. If we walk in sin, that's what we're going to teach. And so sin has this incredibly devastating effect on us personally, but it also touches, just like a holy life touches lives, a sinful life also touches lives, doesn't it? It's like leprosy. This is why Jesus was always, he was healing lepers because leprosy didn't just uh, present a danger to the person with leprosy. Anyone that got near it, it also presented a danger, didn't it? You didn't, you didn't go shake hands with a leper unless you'd said, I would like to have leprosy too. But people shake hands with sin like that all the time, don't they? Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, it won't hurt me. And even if it does, God's so... He doesn't care about that kind of stuff. He cares about, really, he cares about murder, uh, rape. And after that, I don't know. But the rest of it is all fine. But he does. All the commandments. Not one jot or tittle, the Scriptures say, will fade away. Every single sin, transgression... God, there must be given an account for it. Now, we can either give an account for it on our, for ourselves at the great white throne judgment, where we'll give an account if we're unsaved for every single sin, or we can give it over to Jesus, and he can take the account and wipe it clean with his blood. To me, that seems like a no-brainer. How about you? It seems like a no-brainer. But see... Satan has deceived the minds of people that the brain that should be able to process the mind to say, hey, God is offering me a total pardon. Look what he says here. He's willing to be gracious. He's willing to be merciful. He's willing to be long-suffering. Long-suffering. So for a long time, God endured, when we were praying for revival earlier 
I'll mention Nineveh again. Did, did God not endure with Nineveh for a long time? And he finally sent Jonah, and he said, you go to Nineveh, tell him I'm long-suffering, full of grace, ready to forgive. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that because I want him consumed. That's not the nature of God, is it? God says, no, no, you're going to go because I want to forgive, I want to cleanse, I want to turn that nation around. And Jonah's like, no, no, no. You don't understand how bad they are, God. Have you, do, you have, do you read the papers? Do you know what they've done? Do you know how immoral they are? Do you know how violent they are? Do you know how adulterous? Uh, God, I'm going to do you a favor and not go. Are we being that way? Or are we taking the nature of God, the gospel of peace to people and saying, this is the God that I've come to know. I love uh, I have to give one more reference to this, too good. Last night when, when I was watching the video, Ray was, Ray was, I don't know, he was talking to an atheist professor from either UCLA or USC, and when he, um, he asked the guy if he could be wrong about atheism, after he had really walked him through, the guy admitted finally at the end, I could be. And then the guy says back to Ray, could you be wrong about Jesus? And Ray goes, no. Of course, the other guy thinks that's an arrogant response, and Ray, Ray turned it back and says, let me ask, I'll tell you why I said no. If you told me you're married to your wife and I told you, no, you're not, you would say, no, I have a personal relationship with my wife. And Ray says, I have a personal relationship with God. He's radically changed my life. Just like I know my wife exists, that's how I know beyond all the physical evidence of the existence of God, and that's, that's obvious in and of itself. Romans 1 talks about it. But then when God changes us, when Moses met God with the burning bush, when God changed Moses' life, God has done all these things, so now God says, you've come to know me personally, but I want you to know that the whole world needs to know this about me. I'm gracious. I'm merciful, I'm long-suffering, but let them know if they say no thanks but no thanks, I will not clear their guilt. Isn't that what God's saying? He's saying, I'll forgive anybody, Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, in the future to be Rome, and all the way forward to the United States, but if they say, I don't want your mercy, I don't want your grace, hey, I don't even believe you exist, then God says, all right, I will not clear your guilt, you'll meet me on judgment day. It is appointed on a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So yes, God is reminding him of his grace, and that's the most important thing for us. Israel is renewed by grace. You and I are renewed by grace, and I love to tell people about grace, but grace only makes sense if there's something we're given grace for. There has to be a reason. Well, the reason is that God's willing to cover our sins and transgressions. You and I have worshipped a lot of golden calves in our lives, haven't we? metaphorically. We've done the same. We've worshipped. We've had our own immorality. We've had our own deception. We've had our own lying tongues. We've had our... Take a look at the Ten Commandments. You'll recognize them all. You've used the Lord's name in vain, haven't you? We all have. Although now I cringe when I hear people use the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's written it on my heart, and now it's a precious name to me, where to other people, it's just like any other swear word but not to the Lord. And God will not hold them guiltless who taketh his name in vain, unless they repent. But he goes on and continues to 
help Moses understand, this is my nature. This is who I am. Moses supernaturally experiences God's character in a very real way. Yes, it's supernatural in the sense that uh, Moses goes up to the mountain. He doesn't even eat or drink. We'll get to that later in the chapter. He doesn't eat or drink for 40 days. Folks, you can't not drink for 40 days. But God gives him his presence, envelops him with his presence, helps him understand, if you know nothing else, let people know, I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm long-suffering, but I will judge sin. I gave a reprieve. I gave a second chance. God gives second chances. He gives third chances. He gives fourth chances. But whatever chance he gives is always by grace. We always deserve that he would find us guilty, but he's willing to pardon. He's willing to give us that opportunity. But he testifies of his nature. You know, Isaiah got a testimony of the Lord's nature, and we, know, we all know Isaiah 9, 6. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, right? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. There it is again. He's come that he may bring peace, that he might provide the peace that man cannot have with God because God is perfect and holy. Man is sinful and corrupt. There's this gap there that only Jesus himself can fill. Psalm 33, 21 says, For our hearts shall rejoice in him because they have trusted in his holy name. God, de- God declares his own name. And by the way, the name he uses here is a name you probably have heard before. Jehovah. Jehovah. It's quite similar to the I am. of uh, Very similar in the sense of sustaining all-inclusive, worthy of worship. I mean, Jehovah is one of God's names. He has other names, but he comes to him in the name of Jehovah. And he wants Moses to continue to proclaim his name. You know, God wants us to proclaim his name. There's power in the name of Jesus, isn't there? There's power in the name of God. The name of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? All of these things, we're to proclaim the name of God. He comes to Moses, chapter 4 says, I know your name. Now this chapter he says, do you know mine? Right? Yes, you're Jehovah. So tell me, uh, lesson Moses, what does Jehovah mean to you? You're really gracious. You're long-suffering. You're kind. You're willing to forgive thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. What else do you know about me? Well, you're holy and you cannot look at sin, so if people reject you, you'll judge. Lesson closed. That's what he does. He reminds him of his nature. This is who I am. A.W. Tozer says, we can never know who or what we are until we at least know something of what God is. Did you catch that? We don't really know who we are until we know who God is. See, God really shines a light on who we really are. Not who we like to think we are. Who we really are. Not who we like to profess that we are, but who we really are. And God will say, now I'll change the areas that you kind of fudge and become more like my son. He'll make us into the image of Jesus Christ. And I believe God wants you and me to supernaturally experience his nature like Moses did. Do you agree with that? You, want, you think God wants you to supernaturally experience his nature? 
How does he do it? Well, this book is supernatural, folks. The Holy Spirit indwells me. If I didn't have the Holy Spirit, I'd have no chance at a supernatural, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, who literally can, when I need an answer, I can go to his word, and sometimes I turn exactly to the verse that he wants me to have. Or I don't know what to do in a situation. God speaks to me in a still, small voice and gives me guidance and direction. Because he really is the wonderful counselor, isn't he? Or if I need peace, he's the only one that can give it. You can't buy it on Amazon, right? They have a lot of stuff, but you can't put in an order for peace. Yes, I'd like to buy peace. I got a lot of money. Well, we don't sell that. But we can sell you a lot of self-help books, right? We can sell you a lot of gurus, but some of the gurus don't have peace because they're at the Betty Ford Clinic. Yeah, but they still have written you some good stuff. Isn't that funny? That the experts, a lot of times the experts are not really experts. Uh, maybe experts in creating money, but not really experts in providing peace. Jesus actually provides it. In his name and his name only is there power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's a supernatural relationship. Many Christians, I've talked to a, fo- a few folks recently about this. The, the thing that really has gotten a hold of my heart in the last, since I uh, left the business world and have been observing the body of Christ, not just here, but just the body of Christ, is how many Christians do not live in the power of the Holy Spirit. They have no sense of the power of the Holy Spirit. They live in constant defeat. They live in constant uh, place where they have no power of God in their life. They, they can't sense the power of God. They are confused. They don't know what to do in almost any situation. They're constantly, and I'm like, this is not our Lord. This is not the Lord. Moses wasn't in confusion here. He was experiencing God's power, and if anything, he was getting crystal clear direction, not all over the map. In in the Lord one day, out of the Lord the next day. Kind of love God today, kind of don't love God tomorrow. Just constant, you know, G, the, the James talked about this, that you'd be tossed, you're not supposed to be tossed to and fro. You shouldn't have bitter water and sweet water coming out of the same well. That, that, that God will give through his supernatural relationship, that's why he's given the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in the flesh. I'm going to be a really good Christian this week. No shot. Worthless statement. I'm going to be a really good Christian this week. But when you get on your face and say, Lord, I have nothing to bring you, I am going to ask that you help me to walk every minute in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a different statement. And you start to talk to God day by day. You walk with God like Enoch did. You talk to God all the time. You're not trying not to sin anymore. You're out actually just doing the works of Jesus. Oh, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. doesn't work. You're out actually doing the work of the Lord. This is why you want to, it's a similar principle of why you want to keep young people working instead of idle. Right? You can't get into something when you're walking with the Lord. When you're actually doing his will. When you're in relationship. Moses, Moses is going to have a tough time building a golden calf standing there with God, isn't he? It's not even going to dawn on him to do something so foolish and evil. 
But when you get drift away and your mind is not on the Lord, this is why we're supposed to have our mind set on the things of the Spirit, then you will experience the supernatural relationship of God. He will remind you continually. The one thing he'll remind you of constantly because you still will fail is grace, 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 grace. That's why I say often, I love Chuck Swindoll's statement, the right, most holy people he's ever met are those that understand grace. And it's true. They understand it. They walk it. They're able to live it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This goes all the way back to Moses and beyond. With all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So you already know it's not natural. It's supernatural. It actually passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's supernatural as well. God is supernatural. Man is natural and very temporal and has no power. God, the fullness of God is the Shekinah glory of God and the power of God and the Spirit of God. And that you would understand, who can actually understand the depth and width and love of Jesus Christ? Only the mind of Christ. Supernatural again. So Paul is telling the Ephesians, you were designed to have a supernatural experience with the Lord, but only in righteousness and through the Holy Spirit by the blood-bought purchase of grace. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We access it through walking in the Spirit. Uh, In the fall, I'm going to do a series, or at least one message, or maybe a series on the Holy Spirit. I've been waiting on the Lord because I want the Lord to give me exactly what he wants. Because there's so much that can be taught on the Spirit. But Lord, what do you want what is it really that we're lacking in both the understanding and the application of it? Moses had that relationship. He experienced the presence of God. Coming to a close here, this last point, recognition, verses 8 and 9. So Moses, I love verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now Moses already has a deep walk with the Lord. He has a friendship relationship, but he also has a servant-master relationship. It's good to remember that both are always constant in our life. Amen? Yes, Jesus said, I now call you friend, but he also said, I call you servant. I have both. Um, I think when, let's say, you're, let's say you're a son and a father, and you have a good relationship with your dad. 16-year-old boy, you go hunting together or play basketball together. Tell me you don't go shopping together. But anyway, you do stuff together. That would be very ladylike for a 16-year-old boy and his dad. But you do the, on the one hand, you get to be about 16, and if you're a godly son that's respectful, you almost have a, well, not almost, you do have a friendship relationship with your dad but you still have a subordinate relationship with your dad, right? Now later, outside the home, you still would pay the same respect in a subordinate relationship, but it's not the exact same. Well, you and I, we're the sons and daughters of God. We're not the parents, are we? We're the sons and daughters of God, but we're also the friends of the Lord. But Moses knows because the Spirit reveals when it's time to get down on our face. And look, what, look at verse 8. So Moses made haste 
No, God didn't say, Moses, make haste. Moses knew in the spirit he made haste. Do you know when it's time to worship? Do you know when it's time to zip it and just listen to God? Do we? Just completely say, Lord, I'm not saying another word. I'm just going to worship you. He gets on his face and worships. He does end up speaking after that, but first he bows his face he makes haste to do it. He is amazed. Are you still enough in awe of God's attributes? Moses had already seen all of God in so many ways that many people and even all the Bible had never seen, and yet he made haste to worship. He still was amazed. Are you still amazed by God years later? Or you're not, I used to be amazed at that stuff. Oh, you young believers get all amazed by that stuff. We should be more amazed the longer, Moses is deeper in his amazement, not less, because the depth and the width, he hasn't even scratched the surface, has he? He makes haste to worship. He has a recognition, that's my last point, our recognition. he has a recognition that God is God and Moses is not. But more than that, we see there's such a stark difference, he goes on, he talks to the Lord. He says, Lord, if I have now found grace. Moses is constantly saying, if I found grace in your sight. If I found grace in your sight. He has found grace. Not, I've, Lord, I've served really well. So because I've served well, I've got a few requests to make. Because if you try and use that, it's a losing proposition. God says, you haven't served half as well as you think you served. But if you say, Lord, I haven't served well, but give me grace, God says, that's that's what I'm talking about. Don't lift up your heart. I have found grace in your sight. Lord, let, I pray, you go among us. I don't know how many times Moses now said, are you going to go with us? Are you going to go with us? Pleading, God, do not leave us. Not, understanding that Moses is saying, if I don't have your presence, we got nothing. We might have intellect. We might have a few good soldiers. We might have guys that are pretty good at Archie. We've got some ladies that cook really good. We've got some animals. We've got this. But if we don't have you, worthless. There's a recognition that we are bankrupt, that we are empty without the Lord. Moses knows it. And he says we're a stiff-necked people. He doesn't say they're a stiff-necked people. Paul said the same thing. He goes, I am the chief of sinners, Right? Uh, Isaiah, Lord, I live among, I am unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Touch my lips with your burning coal, right? He says, we are a stiff-necked people. I got news. We are a stiff-necked people, aren't we? Very stiff-necked. Very stiff-necked. God, God has preached the same message to us how many times in our lifetime? On certain areas talking to that, my wife about this morning. It's like, I don't even know sometimes as a pastor, I'm like, Lord, how can I re-preach the same thing differently again and again? Because the Word of God is so repetitive. And it's repetitive because we're a stiff-necked people. You would think that after you tell someone a few things a few times that they'll never forget it, but it doesn't take long, does it? Forget. Again and again, we're a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Recognizing the stark contrast between God, God is gracious, God is holy, God is merciful. Man, stiff-necked, full of iniquity, full of sin, full of transgression. 
Very, very significant difference. It's like white sheep standing against freshly fallen snow. At first, you look pretty good when you're next to green grass. The snow falls, it's easy to tell the difference. Oh, God's standard, my standard. I didn't think I was stiff-necked. I really am stiff-necked, right? We understand that we recognize that it's only by God's grace. Now, when we recognize that, we have to pray in His grace. Say, Lord, I can't do this in my flesh, but you can help me. But it has to be genuine remorse. There has to be genuine remorse for sin in our life. We can't just be flippant about it. Oh, yeah, I've sinned, so God, I need your grace. I want to walk in your Holy Spirit. Done. God looks for a truly contrite heart. He looks for genuine repentance. He looks for those that truly, he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In other words, diligently seek their own self. And even after you've sought everything else, you need God to redo and examine because he actually does, it's like doing a second inspection. He comes along and says, you missed that, you missed that, and you missed that. And then you're not, you're not like, how dare you point that? You're like, thank you, Lord, because I would have missed that. He points these things out to us and says, yield in this area. Don't be stiff-necked here anymore. It can be little things too, just attitudes of the heart that no one else sees but you. Everyone thinks you've got it all together in something there, but your attitude's not right about something, and God knows it. And he'll put a finger on it and say, that's still an area of iniquity. It's still an area of stiff neck. And if you want my presence, you have to yield it. And I don't know about you, but I do want God's presence. I don't want to go in my own power. Um, I'd rather stay with certain afflictions and thorn in the flesh the rest of my life than not have God's presence. How about you? It's that valuable. Come to a close here. The nature of God, recognizing that He really is willing to give us His grace. That His grace alone is our salvation. Amen? His grace alone is our second chance and our 1,000th chance. And yet it's our only chance. You agree with that? God's grace is your only salvation. It's our second chance. It's our one millionth chance. And yet it's our only chance. Because there's not another way to, the, to access God but to yield in His presence to His grace. Amen? Let's come to a close. Father, we thank You this morning for your reminder again, as you spoke to your servant Moses, we know you're speaking to us as well, that you would desire that we would experience your long-suffering, we'd experience your mercy, we'd experience your grace, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all, Lord, not only would come to repentance, but then walk in newness of life, your supernatural power like Moses experienced in his life, Lord, that we would experience, that Paul would experience, that Daniel would experience, that John would experience. Lord, again and again, the saints of old, that we would all comprehend as they did the width and breadth and depth of your love. That your nature, yes, Lord, you know us by name, but do we know you? And are we known by you? And before we close in song, just if there's anyone here at all, Say, you know, I, I know the name of God, but I don't know his forgiveness. I, I've never been born again. John chapter 3 says, Jesus told Nicodemus, maybe you're really religious too. Uh, maybe you 
know a lot, but Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone here that would just, you'd raise your hand and say, I, I'm not born again. I've never gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I want to just ask the question, is there anyone at all that says, no, I, if I were to die today, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not certain that I would stand before God in heaven covered by his grace. Anyone at all? I never assume that everyone here is a believer. We have some visitors and anyone at all that would say, no, I, I'm not ready to meet God face to face. I wouldn't hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I don't have a personal relationship. I've never had him cleanse me from my sins. Anyone at all? For the rest of us, is, if everyone here is a believer, praise the Lord for that. But... Um, is there things in your life that are stiff-necked, that are not yielded? Are you trying to walk, not in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, but in your flesh? And really, you don't have that kind of relationship with the Lord that Moses has. You need to lay everything before the Lord that is not His, that's yours, that's sin, that's, that's a violation of His holy commandments or things that he has been knocking on your heart and say, this needs to go. And, it, and sometimes, it's, and now when, once you come to know the Lord, it's not just the, the don'ts, it's the do's. Are you going and sharing the gospel with people? Are you praying for friends, neighbors? Are you, do you have a prayer life now? That Are you growing and are you in the word of God? No, I haven't read the Bible in 10 weeks. Right? It's impossible to walk in the Spirit if you're not walking in the Word and in prayer. And these are the things that God would have you lay at the altar. You know, you need to do that today. Don't put it off. 